0: Welcome to Vaginance. We're very happy to be here. So tonight, we're talking about credit. The elusive, the perhaps mythical, (laughs) credit, credit conspiracy, confusing, sexually arousing, (laughs) intentionally fucked credit system in our country. Um, Anyways, we're discussing credit. We're dispelling myths. And we're sharing experiences that we've had with credit, building credit scores, getting out of debt, and how credit scores affect us in a very practical way and how we can approach that from wherever we are starting from. So join us on this discussion. Journey. Join us on this journey. It is upsetting. We're gonna tell you that right up front. None of us feel good. About this. <laughs> so, thanks for joining us tonight. I'm Becca,
1: Maggie, Taylor, Jules. In the preparation for this, it did make me think. There's probably an entire episode on like the state of student loans.
0: Oh my god. Um, mm. also an entire yeah, episode, episode on like right? racial and class disparity when it comes to credit. Yes. Jesus. And gender. And gender. Yeah, there's a
2: lot of upsetting things to talk about in relation <laughs> okay, to credit.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry, what year could we start getting our own credit cards?
1: 1974.
0: 1974. Well, apparently
2: I read some comments that you could get credit cards before, but either you had to answer a lot of questions that were inappropriate. Right.
1: The like, the banks were you allowed indi- the banks were allowed to deny you access to credit without a male cosigner. So while it technically was not illegal for women to have them, the institutions typically would not give it to you without a man.
0: This is the most... This was
3: like during our parents. Like our parents were alive. My
0: parents were like getting married.
3: Yeah. At this age. Yeah.
0: And then my mom couldn't get a fucking credit. This is insanity. And it's crazy that we still think, oh, everything's equal now. Oh, yeah. No, but into this day, like
3: people will still argue, what is everyone complaining about? You have all the same rights. You're just you're just not working hard enough. And you're like, lies, really, (laughs) really? Like, we couldn't even get credit cards to, like, buy things with. We're not even
1: entitled to an individual bank account until the 60s. I think that's if you had the money, you couldn't even have a bank account for it. Like literally every every decision had to go through your husband. Yes. But I did read it today that um, women
2: in the year 2020, on average, have a two percent higher APR on their credit cards than men. That is some bullshit.
0: I'm wondering if everyone has something that was like their main takeaway from research this week. I I say that because in Julie's notes, it said most important. (laughs) But then I was like, oh, I have a most important too. And I put my most important in all caps. And I'm wondering if everyone had a most important. Julie, what was the most important thing that came out of your research?
1: Okay, so the the most important like bottom line thing for me was a lot more like personal and life applicable than a lot of the facts and stuff that that I find really interesting, but it was that debt is super, super common. And it is not something to be ashamed of at all because there are so many different forces in our society and the way the economy is structured that push you towards debt or put you in these um, decision-making situations where really taking on debt like student loans may be the only option. And even if you are a responsible debt user because somebody actually educated you about how debt works and how credit cards work before you started using them. Even if you're a responsible mm-hmm. user, you can have life circumstances line up and things go wrong and once you start building up debt, you can really hit a tipping point mm-hmm. where even if you've stopped adding to the debt, it can continue growing Compound at interest, a faster baby. rate exactly. Yeah. at a faster rate than you may be able to deal with it. Yeah. So it's nothing to be ashamed of and it is so much better To have honest conversations with your friends and your family about your debt situation, because then they're gonna not only support you because it can be a long journey to pay it off, but then they also can understand more of what's going on in your head when you're making decisions like, oh, so-and-so decided to skip brunch again this weekend. Why isn't she coming out to girls brunch? But if they know like, oh, you're really working towards a goal of paying off this debt, then then they're going to understand or be like, let's do brunch at our house this weekend, you know, and they can support you through those decisions. And that's a really small one. But a lot of people find themselves in high debt in their 20s and 30s, and that's also when All your friends are having like destination weddings and want you to fly across the country. Or if you happen to be the woman who's in everyone's bridal party and you're having to buy a new dress twice a year, Mm -hmm. that's really expensive. And you're dealing with debt and you don't want to break the hearts of your friends, but you haven't told them your situation. Mm -hmm. It just really changes your ability to make those hard decisions. And have your friends understand what's going on if you're okay. upfront about it.
2: I For sure. 100% love that that was your most important. And I also think that our podcast kind of started out a lot in yeah, that way. Yeah, me, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was in quite a bit of debt. Um, and I, like before our podcast definitely talked to julie about it and julie was in a lot of debt too so it was nice to have oh boy one. i had <laughs> never talked to anybody
3: about my debt before our podcast
2: yeah yeah but didn't it like feel nice to get off your
1: chest and be yeah. honest about it and know that other people were also
3: struggling with the same things 100%. yeah right
1: well and our debt had hit an all-time high while we still had a lot of commitments we had made in advance to mm. friends world travel and all sorts of stuff that was really expensive and we were not honest about our debt situation and I don't know if being honest would have changed my actual going on those things because I don't regret doing those at all. But It definitely stretched out the debt process but I think even just being able to be honest about it so you can make smaller tweaks even if you're not cutting the big things, right? it would have made a lot of that much easier.
3: And yeah, they even say in like that Explained episode I was listening to, they talk about how you shouldn't be ashamed of it because the game it's a game, right? Yes. You, are, you are playing against the banks. You the cannot, set up. The for system is lose. set up for you to lose. Banks literally run tens of thousands of algorithms and tests a year to find out how, what is the most money they can get out of each individual, yeah. each individual. They will tailor situations to try to get the most money out of you possible. And they'll set up the the systems to, to literally they study psychology and they will use psychology against you to build a system that makes it almost impossible to succeed in.
2: You know what I can't afford? Running tens of thousands of dollars of experiments. A year. <laughs> yeah. So I think they're going to beat me in that. Like, yeah. you're playing
1: against a boss that is unbeatable. You're
2: playing yeah. in a casino.
1: Yeah. Ex- exactly. And the bank is just the big boss at the end. But the whole way along is like, oh, you got to go to college. But if you don't have the family support for that. Here's your nice little student loan option. Yep. And you also have every retailer who's trying to survive, mm-hmm. make their own business survive. They're also trying to tweak and optimize things like Target is and a brilliant example. Yeah. And then the social pressures, keeping up with the Joneses, scams that people get pulled <laughs> into. It's so easy. Yeah. yeah. It's so, so easy. easy.
0: So Taylor recommended an, ex- it's on Netflix, it's a show called Explained, and they have a whole series called Explained Money. And there's a whole episode about credit cards. And the, the quote that I took was, it's easy to slip up. That's not a personal failure. It's how the whole game is designed. And that's like, if you can internalize anything, that is it. Mm-hmm. Like, you are designed to be in debt. Everything you've ever learned about finance has been particularly tailored, tailored, Tailored,
3: tailored. <laughs> for you to
0: be in debt. Um, well, and
2: that's not to say it's impossible. Like you can do it, but it is hard, and hard, you have yeah. to really dedicate time, energy, education, mm-hmm. friends, support. Like you, it, you need all of those things to do it. Like you have to like build a fucking team of support behind you in order yes. to try and, and
3: like, break even, yeah. basically. And it's a daily thing. You have to work at it every day because yeah. you're not. You're you're going to slip. You're not going to be perfect every day. And,
0: Your education was tailored by companies that want to make money from you, which like basically segues to my most important, which is much less conceptual and more just like straight up facts, because I had a conversation recently from someone a generation above me, two generations above me, who at this point in life thought that carrying a balance on your credit card improved your credit score. It does not. I also thought that until recently. Yeah, you do not. That is my most important thing. That's my most. You do not have to carry a balance on your credit card. It does not improve your score. It doesn't diminish your score if you pay off your credit card every single month. Not at all. That is a weirdo myth that clearly is being propagated but it's by like people who can really, make money yes off of
3: it's a really widespread myth I thought that until yeah. like this year honestly yeah I was like yeah I mean you put like, like $1,500 like you know debt it's like one of those weird things where it actually makes your credit better like it's not it's a total lie I it's had no idea
0: absolute no idea. bullshit and yeah. I mean I'm yeah I because I
3: just wasn't financially like I
0: didn't yeah. know like I well, wasn't educated and in, that's like not, those kind of things that is not on you because people have been saying that for years, literally for years. Mm-hmm. Th- that's what everyone tells you is keep a small balance on your credit card and that'll in- improve your credit score. I just want to reiterate that it does not. Please don't. If you have the opportunity to pay off your credit card or the last statements balance, 100% pay it off. It does not improve your credit score to not. And that is something that still exists. Yeah. People still think that.
3: Well, that just goes to show, like, it is a common myth that, like, a lot of people believe. It's, uh, can we guess who
1: propagated this myth? (laughs) Well, well, not only that, but if you think about the fact that, like, our access to our own information has gone up so much in the last 10 to 15 years. Like, our ability to just log into a website and check your own credit score and not only see the score, but have the breakdown where it's like, oh your average age of accounts has a medium impact and your credit utilization has a high impact. Like it's actually showing you what factors are figuring in 20 years ago. You didn't have access to that information. It was super shooting in the dark, right? Yes. But now that we have access, I think the reason that that myth has sort of been dispelled is because there are enough people who are like credit card hackers who are running all the scenarios and actually testing it in real time and seeing that, Paying off their balance every month has not negatively impacted their credit score.
3: One thing that I also thought was really interesting was how credit card companies slash banks evaluate you as a credit card owner. Like you either pay off your debt, you're someone who pays off your debt in full every month, or you're someone who constantly is behind, but they make money off of you either way, which I never really thought about. Because to me, I always just assumed if you're someone that doesn't pay off your debt right away and you're accruing interest that's the only way the bank's going to make money and they actually don't like people that pay off their their credit cards but what i didn't think about is transaction fees if you're someone who uses their credit card every time you buy something like credit card the shop that you're buying it from pays a transaction fee so either way they're making money off of you i was also so th- this is embarrassing because i didn't realize how compounding interest worked with credit cards cuz I didn't have a credit card till I was like 26 and I was too scared to ever have one cuz I was like I don't ever want to have debt. I don't know what I don't know how it works whatever. I'm just not going to do it. And then the Chase Sapphire Reserve card came out. Hey, hey. And my brother was like, "You got to sign up for this credit card. It's fucking amazing." So I was like, "Yeah, okay, I'm going to do that." Um so I signed up for this card because I wanted the $100,000 bonus sign up points. And that so that's my first entry into credit cards no one told me how compounding interest worked mm-hmm. and i was pretty good about paying it off initially and then over time just like a little bit here and there like i you know have more and more of a balance and i always wondered why I couldn't climb out of the debt. I was like, why does it keep, why does it feel like it keeps getting worse even though I'm paying it off? I'm just not paying off the full amount right away. Like I'll pay off, say there's like 2000 on the card, I'll pay off 1700. So there's 300 left over. But then every month it just, over the years it builds up and builds up. And I'm like, how am I not, How does it feel like it's getting worse? How am I not like getting out of it when I'm paying? I'm not paying off the full amount, but I'm still paying off like a good amount of it. Because you're paying interest on interest interest on my interest, which I didn't fucking know. Like, how do I not? How do people not know these things? Because They intentionally keep it from you. That's crazy. So if anyone doesn't know, know this or realize this, I might be the only dumbass in the room that doesn't know this. But like. When you have a balance on your credit card, say you pay off, you have $500 on it, you pay off $300. The $200 that remains after the bill is due, they charge interest on. But they charge interest on that interest. So say you have $13 on top of the $200 that you're paying on interest the first month. The next month, they're charging the issuers on $213. They just keep adding interest onto the interest. So that is why if you feel like you're in fucking credit card debt and you can't get out and you don't know why and you don't know why it just keeps getting bigger, that is why. And like I had no idea for the first like 10 years of having a credit card. Right. Yeah, Not 10 years, but like five or six years. And the interest rates on
1: credit cards are really high compared to most other types of debt. So I think the average... Credit card interest rate in the country right now is about 16%. That's what I read. Yeah. Which is astronomical. 16%. Compounding.
3: <laughs> Compounding. Compounding yeah. On money borrowed.
2: Yeah, that's it's it's really not a good idea to hold credit unless you need to. But also, I think we've been saying a lot of negatives, but having good credit in this country at the least is extremely important. Yes.
3: And we should maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah it opens up the opportunities to buy more assets, like houses, and, houses, well, and I think th- loans. loans, yeah. Yeah, two,
1: two different things here too, like credit scores and debt potentially being quite different. But debt is definitely a very important tool at our disposal in modern society because it does allow us to pick up those assets and investments or fill in gaps that otherwise might leave us out on the street all of a sudden. So it's a really good tool to have. But I was thinking today that giving us access to debt without teaching us about that tool mm-hmm. is basically like giving someone a table saw. Table saws are great. They're very useful. And they will cut your fingers off very easily. <laughs>
0: That's a know? good analogy.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: it's like it's a great yeah. tool and extremely dangerous and can have long term consequences.
0: And you know, Fet- Ford, it's like giving someone a table saw with zero instruction manual yes
3: there's exactly. instruction manual and being like <laughs>
0: I don't know or, ask your
3: friends or to the one instruction out. manual you have is in fucking Chinese and it's 50 pages long
1: and you'll figure written, it out or you'll find <laughs> one finger left who's like oh
0: let me it's tell you how table stuff
1: 8.0
0: font oh, no, it's or like,
1: it's it's a manual written by a lawyer
0: on it how is. to use a table well spot. I was gonna say it's written by the medical lobby who makes money off of you chopping your fingers oh that's oh, better it's like saying Oh Oh, yeah, use the table saw. Don't be careful. It's inherent. You'll figure it out. (laughs) It's totally fine. Anyways, just call nine one one if you if something happens. It's not a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it's.
3: We'll be waiting. Yeah, it
2: is. It is. But like, I definitely understand like your trajectory a little bit, Becca, because you just like you said were like, cash is not trash for a long time because. Do, like getting into debt is very scary and no one fucking tells you how to do it responsibly. Yeah. So-
3: and four in 10 Americans are in debt right now. Mm-hmm. Four in 10. That is almost half the country mm-hmm. that holds credit card debt.
1: Honestly, it's amazing. It's not more.
3: Yeah. But and I, I think on the
1: other side, like back to Maggie's point about how credit can really be important. Um, some of those people who are not in debt it's because they are lower income or they're not deemed credit worthy. So it's not that they're doing great. Right. It's that they are being judged so harshly they don't even have access to I it. also think that yeah. includes
3: minors. Like, I think it's like everybody. Oh. And <laughs> tiny <Turn turn> point. <laughs> <to the babies. laughs> no, 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 credit cards for babies. <laughs> babies. Let's change hey, that immediately. Oh, you, baby, I wouldn't be
2: surprised. You know, you know who needs a table saw? Babies. babies. <laughs> Seriously. That's what I think about student loan debt. Can we title this episode? You know who needs a table saw?
3: <laughs> babies. Babies. <laughs> Little babies. Well, and me and Becca were literally just talking earlier today about how insane it is that they don't tell you these things like they don't teach us. This is not part of our education. This is not part of our curriculum, even though it is literally built into the fabric of our country, the banking system and the debt system and the credit system. And they don't teach us. They don't teach you anything about it in high school or any at any point in your public education even
1: when you are signing on the dotted line for student loans that can be in excess of six figures no one is there checking to make sure you understand how interest works for that particular loan
0: and you're barely Um, 18 which brings me to my next point i okay literally up until two hours ago i thought if you deferred your student loans Mm -hmm. that meant you didn't Gain interest. I just on what I just cringed paid. for you, Becca. Have you done this? Okay, I okay. So first off, yes. <laughs> Second off, I have blacked out the first few years of paying off student loans. I think okay, they made it so unclear. I am 32 years old. Luckily, I've paid off all my student loans at this point, so water is under the bridge. But I genuinely thought that those years when I was working for a nonprofit. Or working for the Texas government when I was paying one when I was getting paid one thousand dollars a month, that my loans were deferred, and that it was just a little pause button until I was able to afford paying them. I didn't realize that I was actually paying interest. You were on those accruing loans. interest that entire time. I was yeah. accruing interest. Literally, what does the word deferred mean? If it means it you, don't to, to you don't pay, pay it. you, defer you don't pay it right now, <laughs> but you still are gonna owe. We won't it. charge you a fee for paying on a in addition to your interest but you are you are accruing yeah. interest. It's that is a, like, insanity.
1: We're not going to charge you a late fee.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. But we're going to keep racking it up in the meantime. So I, I ran no some idea. calculations
3: today I love when Julie says this. This point in the podcast, <laughs> it always happens at some point in the
2: podcast. Like Julie runs calculations I ran every day. Some calculations. This I is want like... that on a crop top. You're
0: gonna be fucking upset. Is what's gonna happen. Yeah.
1: When, when back of the crop top. <laughs> I ran some calculations. You're, You're gonna, gonna be. Fucking <laughs> upset. I need this shirt. I, I'll buy this. Shirt. <laughs> okay, so I ran some calculations based on when we were in school. So the interest rates when we all started college were almost
0: 7%
1: on student loans. So if you had to take out $30,000 a year for four years, and I'd say compared to like cost of living now, if you're, if you're a student who's having to pay your tuition and your room and board, I don't even know if that covers it anymore at state schools. But let's say when we were in college, you could have got away with 30000 a year for four years. That means the total loan that you were taking out was $120,000. But the entire time you're in school, it was accruing. You're adding $30,000 each year. By the time you graduate, it's already up to $183,000. And then let's say you have to stay in deferment for another year after graduation because you're just getting started in your new career. You're having trouble finding the job. Or you're getting unpaid internships. Exactly. Or you're even taking a paid job, but it's not enough for you to be able to actually start paying your loans. Like $1,000 a month at the Texas legislature, for instance. (laughs) That is insane. That is insane. (laughs) I volunteered for a year, too. So it's like
2: my, my loans weren't deferred while I volunteered for America.
0: <laughs> she volunteered for America. Was that when I thought you were <laughs> For America,
2: my loans were
1: not diverting. Um Yeah, so if you have to Thank stay you for your
3: service, but yeah, fuck yourself, no your student loan.
1: Thank you for your service and your money because all of the student and loan debt money. is is well. It's like all federal loan money now. The government's making so much money off of us and then they're just funneling it back into the universities through subsidies Whoa. and okay, so if you stay in deferment for 1 year after college, you now owe almost $200,000 just for the privilege of paying 120,000 for the 4 years you were in school.
0: Also, sorry if you got a liberal arts degree. <laughs> <laughs> because you'll be in deferment
3: for, for a while
1: yeah. and <laughs> you will never catch up with the interest on interest. This is yeah. what you need to do.
3: Quit your job, become a day trader, start trading those penny stocks, get something going, <laughs> uh-huh. pay off that debt. Um, Yeah, that's insane. I was going to say that reminded me in college when Obama, someone needs to explain this to me. You know, there's like institutions that loan money versus the federal government. And he like basically made it to where it was easier to loan it from the federal government versus, like, higher, it was, like, lower interest rates versus higher interest rates through,
0: like, private uh, companies. Do you, do you guys remember when this happened? I don't remember. I remember he would forgive student loans if you put in 10 years in a nonprofit, which if you're a listener who's put in 10 years in a nonprofit, please tell me if he did that.
1: Okay, so this is a program and of the people who have tried to actually get their loans forgiven, it's like 2%. Yeah, oh, yeah. Forgive. another Planet Money episode about that specifically. Really? Cry. The, cry the cry failure
2: rate of people actually succeeding in getting their loans forgived way higher than people succeeding.
0: Um, well, also as someone insane. who was in nonprofits for like six years, the idea of surviving nonprofits for 10 years... Well, it's pretty shocking, and then at the
3: end of it, then being like, "Oh, by the way, you owe us three hundred thousand dollars."
2: That's part of it is that some of them are like, "I wouldn't have stuck it out that long. It was really hard and challenging, and like, emotion took an emotional toll on me. But I did
1: it for this reason, and then that didn't pay out, right?" And And I, I could have got a higher-paying job. I could have got a higher paying job and started paying my debt back, but I took the lower paying nonprofit job and I stuck it out for 10 years and my loans quadrupled in that time. Yeah. I could
2: be wrong about this, but I think that there is, ironically, a nonprofit that was made to help those people.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I want to be the person that works at <laughs> that. <Yeah. non-profit>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like, could be just making uh, that up because it is such a dark thing to think. But like God, that's I, so part of me up. thinks that
1: might be true. Even if we're if we give the benefit of the doubt to people who initiate some of these programs, I think humans. Uh, I've always I've always pitched that like the history of humanity as a book should be called unintended consequences mm-hmm. because this is a great example of that. And another unintended consequence was like when credit scores became a thing, it was intended to create one system that um, they could look at to rate credit worthiness because before banks just did it however they felt. So typically a
3: handsome white man who's got his head on his shoulders. Let me give you some money. Yeah.
1: You're a family man with a job and you're white. We'll give you money. But you're a woman or you're a person of color. We're not giving you money. So, and you're not exaggerating. That's literally what they that did. That is literally <laughs> what they did. So, they came up with like the credit score system. Right. And unfortunately, that is now, it didn't change necessarily the outcomes. It just has now programmed them into the credit score system.
0: Yeah. Okay. Actually, let me, let, can I take a couple steps back? Yes. Can we all zoom back to the first time we got a credit card? Can you, we'll start with Julie. Can you explain? Talk, just talk us through the experience of your first credit card, why you decided to get it, and the experience of getting it. I have no memory of this. Wow. Julie actually <laughs> blacked out for five years. applied for like 18 credit cards.
1: <laughs> well, we literally have a spread. Like, luckily, we are through like the credit card debt payoff. We have no high interest bearing debt at this point. But we literally would have a spreadsheet with all of the credit cards, business, and personal. And there were many and the interest rate and the balance every month as we're like chipping through them. That way we could also prioritize paying off the highest interest rate ones first. Right. But I have no idea my first credit card, like maybe it was through the normal bank associated with my regular bank account. So that if I had an overage charge or something, instead of charging me an overdraft fee, it would just add that to my credit card so was balance your, or something.
0: was your first credit card prior to being married? or? Oh, yeah. So I only have one credit card. I had a debit card for a long time. This circles back to Becca's fear of spending money and therefore having credit. Um, but I remember very distinctly, I was planning a trip to L.A. to visit Taylor when she lived in L.A. And she was like, you need to put this on a credit card so that you can earn points. And I was like... I don't know, but she convinced me. So I bought, I bought a credit, I got a credit card. Oh my god, I didn't know I was the one that convinced you. Were you the to con- do that. yeah? Well, well it's funny because at the same time when I was visiting you in LA, I was also reconnecting with the Velkies for the first time post college. <laughs> um, where so we knew each other in high school, and then in college we met up once to smoke hookah on the porch of that place. That's the hookah <laughs> place on the drag. Cosba. Cosba where they taught me to smoke hookah with bubbles which I still do to this day because it's a lot of fun (laughs) and um, I reconnected with them like six years later like I wanted to go to Southeast Asia and or Canada I don't remember. And we met up at Elaine's Pork and Pie to discuss it. <laughs> Anyways, I don't remember the situation. <laughs> story is blowing my mind, Becca. So go. I was planning to visit Taylor in L.A. She told me to get a travel credit card at the same time. I, was, I met up with the Velkies to discuss, I think, Southeast Asia. And they were like, you need a travel credit card. So I decided to get a credit card. I don't Three tiny
1: devils all
3: appeared on Becca's
0: shoulders at the
3: same time. Stop hoarding your cash and get a credit card. And that must have been right after I got my credit card, because that was the first card I got was a travel card. It must have been. And I had just gotten it when I was in L.A. Yeah. So, so I, was, I was probably like, yeah, on that credit card, hundred
0: thousand point high, and was like, yeah, credit card. Yeah. <laughs> so mine was definitely a lower, lower risk card than that, and I still have it. I've had one credit card my entire life, um, Which and credit I card is it? It's Capital One Venture Card. Okay. Um, and it's been fine. It's not like an exceptional card, but it's not bad by any means. I get plenty of like. Especially during COVID, they're like, "Sure, you can get travel points for eating out." I don't know, <laughs> just fucking spend money. You left we your house; that counts as travel, <laughs> <now>. exactly. <laughs> like literally. <laughs> um. Anyways, I guess what I'm saying is, I got my credit card at the end of 2016. I've never had to pay any interest because I've always paid the last State
3: statement balance.
0: balance. Yeah. Um and that is something that they don't tell you and i only did out of fear um mm-hmm. not out of knowledge there's nothing like understood about that choice yeah. it was st- instinctively out of fear um So I think that a lot of people pay their minimum, assuming that that's going to save them from additional fees. And all that saves you is from your late fees. It doesn't save you from the interest that you accrue. I didn't know that for years. Yeah, I would pay I I would pay
3: more than my minimum. I'd be like, I'm doing good. I'm paying like 500 bucks off of this. Right. 2000 bill and like thinking that, oh, I was paying way above my minimum. I'm not going to get charged um, a late fee. And I did it. Because I thought they just made their money off late fees. I had no idea I was getting charge interest on all of that. Yes, and then compounded interest. No idea.
0: So I, when I Since was writing that. the notes up for today's episode, I was like, I wonder what everyone's APR is because I didn't know my own APR, and it took a lot of intentional digging <laughs> to
3: figure out what my
0: APR was. I had was. to
3: email my co- my yes. credit card company to ask them what my APR was because it's nowhere on my there was, you nowhere have to click it's listed nowhere
0: the faintest font and i had to click around to find my apr my apr is 22% wow which is a really Whoa.
3: high wow. apr Whoa. and you have good
0: credit i have exceptional credit and my apr is 22% i've again due to fear not knowledge i've never paid interest on my credit card um, because i played the entirety of the past month's balance. Mm-hmm. But if I had unknowingly just skipped a month, I would have been paying 22% APR. Um, that is insane. So credit cards can also put a little
2: statement in their whatever clause that if you miss one payment, your APR jumps. 100%. So you could have 16% APR, miss one payment. For the rest of the time you hold that credit card, now you're at like 28%. So you miss one payment, it, like the terms change.
3: Wow, I need it. A, I should like, bullshit. I should go and find all my APRs again because, yes. yeah, they make it so hard to find. And not just that, you know, those, so there's certain cards when you sign up, it'll be like 0% interest for 18 months, right? Yeah. So you can put, you know, you can transfer a balance that you owe to that and you won't be paying anything on it for 18 months. I did that when I, when we first started this podcast and I've mentioned it, I did that with like, I think $3,000. I was like, okay, let's just get this off of my balance, so I'm not paying interest on it, put it on a 0% interest, even though they charge you a fee of like 2% or whatever, so I had to pay like $400, it's still cheaper than the interest I would- Than 22% I'm still paying less by paying that fee than I would have in interest. All that to say, uh, when we started this podcast, I decided to uh, figure out when that 18 months was up. Cause I was like, I know it's been like about a year, I don't really know exactly when, So I went online and I signed into the account and I could not find anywhere Mm -hmm. on the website. I spent an hour looking. An hour. They don't want you to to remember. I had to call them because there's literally nowhere listed on that website when my 18 months is up. Right. Anywhere. Yeah. So like when you sign up for these cards, it sounds like a great deal, but then they are banking on the fact that you're not going to remember 18 months from now, right. that that exact day, the 15th of whatever, is when, you, when you're going to have to start paying that APR. So I after that, when I called them and they told me the exact date, I calculated out how much I owed and how much I'd have to pay every single month to pay it off. And I auto-draft it now from my bank account Brilliant. to pay it off every month. Brilliant. So it's like, it's like, it's not cheap either. It's like 300 and something dollars every month, which I would never think to pay otherwise. Good thing you checked now and not like three months out. When I'm like, oh, "Oh, a thousand dollars a month
1: for the next three months. Yeah.
3: So, Um, and it's, I'm, I like cannot wait for the day that that balance is gone because that's going to be $300 that I don't have to pay anymore that that can go towards like medical expenses or other credit cards or whatever else. But yeah, it's, it was like insane that, Mm that, I had to go the amount of effort I had to put in to find out what I needed to pay them every month to pay them off on time. Yeah. It was crazy. And once I'm done paying that that credit card off, I'm cutting up that credit card and throwing it in the trash. Like yeah. I'll keep the bank account open. And why is, why are you keeping that credit account open? I'm ke- I'm keeping it open because as we've learned, um Closing out accounts negatively affects your credit,
0: which is the most, which is insane. <laughs> that is you could try to
3: be responsible and say, OK, I paid off this credit card. I don't need it. I have another credit card. I'm just going to limit myself to one or two credit cards. And that will negatively affect you in your credit. Yeah. So it, it you, affects, have to, you have to have credit to build credit.
1: Well, it affects your credit score primarily in two ways. First of all, it lowers the amount of credit available to you. Mm-hmm. So your credit utilization percentage will go up. Because if if all of your credit cards put together was a ten grand allowance Mm -hmm. and you had $3,000 in actual debt on them, then you're at that 30% utilization rate. But if you go ahead and shut down a $5,000 credit card because it's all paid off, all of a sudden you have $3,000 out of $5,000. So you're at a 60% credit utilization rate, which is going to affect your credit badly. The other aspect that it affects is the age of credit history. So what they do is they take all of your credit accounts available to you and they add, they average how many years you've had those accounts open and they want you to have a really long credit history. So if you shut down one of your accounts, that's your older accounts, all of a sudden your credit history age is a lot less. Yeah. So they're like, oh, historically... Um, you you just really haven't been a credit user as long as we'd like to see.
3: Which is bullshit because I'm sorry, there's definitely a paper trail showing that I had a credit card that I closed. Yes. Like, yes. it's bullshit. They and could be smarter. What sucks is that I hate the idea of having an open account somewhere in the world mm-hmm. that I'm not, like, actively using or tracking because what if I get fucking, like, what if someone steals my identity and now they have this, like, credit card that they can use in my name? You know, it's just some it's shit like that, like, drives me insane where I'm like, I really hate it's like digital clutter. And I fucking hate digital clutter. And I just want it all to be gone and just have like these three things that I use. But I know that that's going to fuck me over if I do that. So it's like, I've done it with another credit card that I, I never use anymore. I opened it to pay for something specifically. I chopped it up and I threw it in the trash and it's still like that account is still up out there. Right. But it's something use it.
1: you're responsible for sort of tracking and making sure nothing happens yeah. to. So a couple strategies for this is if you actually can look at your accounts and figure out which ones you've had open the longest and then prioritize paying off your younger accounts Mm -hmm. because if you close those then it's not going to affect your age poorly and then also before you start closing things if you've paid it off and you have your credit utilization at a good point and your credit score looks good call the credit card that you want to keep and ask them to raise your limit because without you actually putting more debt on there, they may just right. raise the limit up, oh, which allows it you to close
0: yeah, so That's really smart. Get them to
1: raise it enough so you can stay within your 30% utilization
0: That's and then really shut smart. down an
1: account. That's really smart. So
0: what I was learning over the course of the week was that they say to have like fine credit, keep it under 30% utilization. So if you have a $10,000 limit on your credit card, definitely keep it under 3000 which like... Lol at the fact that they give you a $10,000 limit when they're like, just kidding, don't go over 3000 or you're fucked. But really they're like to have great credit. You have to keep it under $1,500, um, which I thought was really interesting and like really fucked up. The system truly mm-hmm. is designed to encourage you to spend more and to fuck up your own credit so that you have to pay more, to buy more. It's all fucked up. If you have the opportunity to pay off every month, do it. If you have the opportunity to keep it under 15% utilization, you got to do it. To remind us credit. what utilization is again, just so-, so like, if you when you look at your credit card statement, it says you have X amount available to you. I think mine is 10,000. Um you want to keep it under $1500 a month ideal of what you owe, of what you of owe. what you're putting on So like, account. recently my credit card statement went down my credit score went down 14 points I think a couple weeks ago because usually I keep my credit card balances around $1,500 every month that I pay off and it jumped to $1,900 because I think we bought some flights or something Um, and that dropped my credit score 14 points which when you're looking to qualify for a loan for a house makes a really big difference Mm -hmm. and it's just shit that you're not told about none of this is told to you and also $1,900 $1,900 out of a $10,000 limit is not that much, especially when you pay it off every balance. Right, And I mean, the system is truly rigged against you. So you have to keep that in mind at all times. Yeah.
1: And your credit score is super dynamic. It can change from day to day, multiple times a month. Right. So don't panic if you see it change. Right.
0: For us, and obviously some of us are came into this podcast group in different areas, like different points along our timeline of financial development but it really helped knowing that there were other people who were just trying to figure out their way along Mm -hmm. and i think that's the whole point we put at the start of this podcast of like if you need encouragement to know that you're not like even if you're like absolute square zero like, we've all been there, obviously. We, been a, we've been in negative, square. yes. negative squares. We've been in negative squares. <laughs> Wait, way. just check Just check my bank uh... accounts. <laughs> right. There's, like, nothing shameful at whatever yeah. square you're at. And we're there with you. And, like, now is a perfectly fine time to start your financial independence journey. It is literally never too late until you're dead in the ground. It's literally never too People start... After they're
3: retired. Oh, yeah. There are people in their 60s and 70s being like, I should start investing. Yes. Any age. Any age.
1: Well, especially for women, oftentimes the real wake up call becomes in middle age after divorce. Yeah. Yeah. In financial ruin. And it's like at that point, these women have to pick themselves up and figure it out from scratch and not just from scratch, from a very bad position emotionally and Mm -hmm. financially. Men. And they figure, you know, Elizabeth women Warren. are amazing. They figure
2: I don't out. if you love her or hate her. Makes some really strong points about that. Exactly. In her book, The Two Income Gap. Mm. Highly recommend. Mm. What is her educational background? I think she's a lawyer. But I could be wrong. Or an economist. One of the two. Um, <laughs> Most politicians yeah, she, are lawyers. She, yeah. She talks oh. about how um, in divorces, in particular, women often end up worse than men and how that has impacted like american the american economy and how like even education is influenced by that which is crazy mm-hmm. there's like such a domino effect of things that i hadn't thought about before mm-hmm. so i don't know i think it's an important book to read it is very political um depending on your point of view i still recommend the book just don't read the book with rose Glasses on. Like, I like yeah. Elizabeth Warren, but I think, as Becca <laughs> mentioned earlier, with any politician, you need to listen to it with a grain of salt. So, like, I agree with most of what she's saying, but some of it is very extreme.
1: But some of the points in that book are
2: worth hearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's on there?
1: So like, she's probably making a political argument for some of the initiatives she wants to push through. Even if you disagree with the way she wants to treat the symptoms, her breakdown yeah. of the symptoms in the right. situation right now are still probably valid. Yes. Yeah.
2: A perfect way to say it, Julie. Thank you. Um, but a lot of it is about how women are affected a lot differently than men, especially in divorce situations, which I think is a very valid point because divorce is a very prominent thing in American culture. Yeah. Uh,
0: very, if very only much. I wish that it just wasn't legal. That we just there? couldn't divorce. <laughs> It'd be so nice if we could go back right. to where women couldn't leave their husbands yeah. no matter what. I'm Get just rid tired. Of, you know,
3: actually, I don't even want to be able to open up a credit card without my husband's approval. I'm tired of Take female it all autonomy. Away. Okay? Yeah. Call me old-fashioned. I don't want it. <laughs> anyway. I don't want to. I don't want <laughs> it. No, thank you. I want to
2: call you modern-fashioned. No, thank
3: you. <laughs> um, okay. I will. Oh, go. what? I was just going to say one more thing about the the, uh, what we've kind of been talking about with like, you know, basically personal responsibility versus like education and stuff like that. I, when I'm looking at my relationship with money over the years and throughout my life, to me, money was something I never fully understood. Uh, and I feel like I had pieces of the puzzle you know, like little things like my brother would like be like, hey, you should open up a credit card. This is how credit cards work or whatever. Well, he didn't even explain how they work. Hey, you should open up a credit card so you can get the benefits, whatever. Or my dad mentioning the stock market to me, but never actually like being like, hey, this is a way that like real people make money. And like I never had the full picture, which I think was part of the problem is like I understood like little things like, oh, credit cards can help you If you do it right. Oh, the stock market can help you if you know anything about the stock market. I had little bits of information, but there was never a full picture for me. And I feel like maybe a lot of other people feel that way, too, about anything to do with making money and finances and credit and stock market and everything. It's like this huge umbrella of things and knowledge that you have to basically make your life career trying to understand and it can be very scary and overwhelming. And you don't always, you're always scared of getting scammed. You're always scared of losing money. And I get it. <laughs>
1: That's what I wanted
2: to say. You're right, though. Yeah. It is a lot. It is a full-time job. Yeah.
1: Yeah, over the course of your life, you're like handed all these little tools. But very rarely does the person handing it off to you sit down and say, this is what this is. This is how it works. Mm-hmm. This is what's good about it. And this is what's bad about it. No one does that. No.
2: And here we are, our ants. Hello. Being pe- those pe- people pe- for pe- our five <laughs>
1: listeners. <laughs> we oh. love you.
3: Thank you, all of our friends who listen.
1: <laughs> okay, so I did want to break down the two most important ways you can quickly improve your credit score. Oh, great idea. Number one, pay your bills on time. Because even like your utility bill, if you... Miss a payment on that and it mm-hmm. goes late, that can affect your credit score. So any of your recurring bills and your minimums, make sure that you are paying those on time. Yeah. Number one most important thing. And then figure out your credit utilization rate. You can check your your credit score. Sometimes they have a breakdown depending on how you're accessing it. Or even if you use a service like Credit Karma to sort of keep an eye on it, it'll tell you your credit utilization. And then start chipping away at your credit card debt and get it under that 30% mark. If you do those two things, you will see a dramatic increase.
3: Within months. It oh, seems. yes. Yeah, yeah, like pretty quickly. Yeah, basically within weeks of getting it under that 30 And Julie, tell us why we should care. Why should we want good
1: credit? So you should definitely want good credit, even if you do not plan to be taking out mortgages, loans, or credit cards. Even if you don't plan to use credit, your credit score can be used by landlords and employers to judge you. So you might be trying to go get a job and your employer can pull your credit score and judge you based on that and say, oh, well, this person doesn't pay their bills on time every month, so they're probably not going to be a good employee, even if it has nothing to do with your job. Like you might not work in finance, but they may judge you based on your So that'll affect the kind
3: of job you can get and how much it's going to pay you. Exactly. And then also when it comes
1: to um, landlords, you can be going to try to rent a house or an apartment. And the landlord may choose to not rent to you because you have poor credit. And that means that you're at risk of not paying your rent every month. Or they can demand an excessively high upfront deposit to compensate for the risk that they're taking on based on your credit score, even if you're not a credit card user. So you definitely want to build up some credit and keep an eye on that score and have a good score.
3: And I'm going to go ahead and guess that that affects where you can live and the quality of your life if you're living in maybe not a great area because you can't afford a better apartment. Mm -hmm. So it can literally affect your life in every way. Yes.
0: You know what I think is weird bullshit? That your FICO score can be between 300 and 850. It's a really weird range. It's a weird range. And 650 to 850 is like a reasonable number. And then 300 to 650 is red zone. Like you're not considered for anything. It's like someone telling you that the people they'll date, they rank between a three and an eight and they'll only consider 6.5 <laughs> out of an eight. And you're like, why do you even rank them to the three then? What, <laughs> what ranking system is this? Uh yeah. Uh, So I remember
2: something I wanted to bring up, which I thought was really interesting and I wish I could find the original tweet, but it was definitely a tweet that I read a couple months ago that was about this woman who her brother-in-law, I believe, was in jail. Don't know the reason why, but it was, um, what can you do for your family members who are incarcerated? And she put her utility bills in his name and added him as a like authorized user on her credit card so that when she he got out of jail, his credit score was good enough that he could build his life on his own. Well, I will try harder to find the original tweet because I know it linked to an article that was like other things you can do to help mm-hmm. your incarcerated family members, which I think is important things to be educated about. Um, I personally have had friends incarcerated and had no fucking clue what to do about it. And it was very scary and sad.
0: Not necessarily even family members incarcerated, but also family members in extreme medical debt or going through a divorce and have fucked credit because of that. Yeah. Like lots of reasons that people close to us could have fucked right. credit. Or
1: if you're starting building credit, trying to build up your credit score from scratch, That can be really difficult. It's a lot easier to build up credit once you have some credit history. Um, But two two main ways to do that, like Maggie mentioned, getting your name added to a utility bill of the place you live at is great because it increases sort of that um, on-time payment record Mm. that goes into your score. And the other thing you can do is you can get a secured credit card. So basically, you get a $500 credit card from the credit card company, but you give the credit card company $500 up front.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: That way they have a deposit, like a security deposit in case you don't pay it back
0: Mm -hmm. because
1: you have no credit history. So they don't trust you yet. Mm -hmm. So you basically pay the credit card in advance and then you get to use it and pay it off and build up that credit history. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you can convert to an unsecured credit card, like your normal ones. Mm -hmm. Um, But they'll give a secured credit card to you with no credit history. It's basically like a debit account.
3: There's hope. That and, you can change mm-hmm. your life, even if you're in shitty circumstances.
0: And another uh, op- like another offering for those that are starting from zero is the credit building loan. You can get those from credit unions and other banks um, where it's literally it's really cool. It's very sexy. It's a loan that's designed just to help build your credit where you... Essentially you're like taking out a loan from yourself and then you're paying back that loan through the credit union um, at a, uh, there's like a 15% APR generally and like a really nominal administrative fee, like $9 to take out this credit. It's called a credit building loan. If you have a bank or a credit union, like ask them about it, credit building loan um, where it can be like a really small amount and you're taking that money out from yourself and then you're paying it back Um, so it's all your money, but it goes to the credit bureau and it builds your credit and it, that's what it's designed for. It's literally just designed for your benefit to build your credit. I think it's really sexy. I think it's really wonderful. I didn't know about that. Yeah. So you're literally, they're just basically
3: charging you a fee to help you do that.
0: Yeah. A nominal fee. Hmm.
3: That is really interesting.
0: Yeah. So if you're starting at zero, which many of us are from, for various different reasons, Like, take a look. Take a look. Credit building loans. How does buying a house affect your credit? Because I feel like we touched
3: on it, but I still don't fully understand. Mm
1: -hmm. For mortgages, luckily that does not impact your credit utilization. But it gives you the opportunity to have on-time payments against a really large debt. Mm -hmm. So that's a positive. It's a complicated answer, Taylor. Mm -hmm. You asked a hard question. Yeah. I'm sorry. It
2: it does not. (laughs) I don't want to answer that. Right. It's hard.
1: Sorry. It definitely (laughs) does not nail your credit like you would think a massive debt would. Right. Now, when you get a mortgage... There will be a hard pull on your credit and those sort of stay on your credit report for a certain amount of time before they fade away. So you don't want to be like, I'm applying for a credit card and a car loan and a mortgage all at the same time because you're going to have three hard marks mm-hmm. against your credit, which freaks credit companies out because they're like, oh, should I give them this credit based on their current utilization if they're also applying for all these other things? Because I don't really trust the number I'm seeing in the report. Right. Sounds
3: like they're going balls of the wall right now. Right.
1: The other thing I wanted to touch on was this idea of good debt versus bad debt and what that really means. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes what you find is it's actually somewhere in between. But bad debt is that high interest debt that people tend to max out and then the interest builds up and you end up in this debt spiral. So that's oftentimes your credit card debt. And then another type of debt that's typically seen as bad would be car loans. And the reason for that is because if you go and buy a brand new car, you get a loan against the value of it. Oftentimes, nowadays, they'll give you a 0% down. Mm-hmm. So they will give you a loan for 100% of the car amount. But as soon as you drive it off, the car is only worth 80% of that amount. Mm-hmm. So if you changed your mind and had to sell the car, you may sell the car and still be saddled with leftover debt from that loan, mm-hmm. which sucks. Yeah. Um, so that would be something that could potentially be bad debt, good debt would be something like a mortgage because it is asset backed. So the house you got the mortgage on, the bank believes should be worth the amount of money they gave you to buy it. Mm-hmm. So if you ended up having to sell the house, you don't end up still having mortgage debt left after. It doesn't always pan out that way. You still have to make a good investment, but that is one of the types of things that is typically seen as good debt because over the life of that loan, especially these are really long-term loans, like 30-year mortgages, mm-hmm. by the end of it, the asset is usually worth a lot more. So these are appreciating assets. Fingers crossed. Exactly. As opposed to depreciating I'm assets so like curious. cars. And we put some really great mortgage math breakdowns mm. on our Instagram.
0: It, they're it's amazing. So I was like hot.
1: Blown Math, away. math,
3: math. <laughs>
0: I've it got a so, lot
3: of It was so like easy to understand though too. It was like it wasn't like complicated. Like when I first pulled it up, I was like, Oh geez, I'm gonna have to read Julie. This. I was like, oh, <laughs> I it," but I was like, I was reading, I was like, Oh, this is like, she really easy <laughs> to understand. It's great.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: And and they're definitely
1: simplified and and don't take into account certain things, but it's it's sort of you you're comparing apple pie to apple crumble, and we've just taken the apples out, and that's sort of what we've compared. Right. Um, and I think it, it's a it's a good illustration of the fundamental principles behind mortgage we'll get investments. All into but
3: that next episode, next episode with our first fucking guest. Woo 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 woo! I'm so oh, excited to have her. Gotta on. buy another microphone. Oh Morgan. yeah! Oh my god! Oh my god! I got it all. We're we could have
0: easily just leaned. Yeah, we could <laughs> lean stop. in. We could lean. That's
3: true.
1: Hey. Um, I did want to talk about the fact that I think student debt is possibly the most predatory type of debt we have in this country.
3: Seriously. Let's get into
1: it. Because it targets young people who probably have not had a credit card or a car loan. So they have no experience with interest bearing debt. No one explains deferment. And there's no credit check oftentimes for student loan debt. Really? Correct. I didn't That's, know that. So they will just
3: give that is it to bar- you. That is insane. Oh,
0: that, well, because you're 17. Why would you have a credit? Like
3: That's true, yeah.
0: They'll give you anything because wow. it's matter.
3: Mm-hmm. That is yep. so fucking predatory.
1: Right. And then it disproportionately affects people of color because students of color just at a very general statistical level, oftentimes in this country have less financial support from their family because their family has been subjected to the systems of this country. Mm -hmm. But college is a requirement if you want to change your status in our society. Mm -hmm. So college is not optional. You have to go, but you don't have anyone else contributing money to support you. So you have to take out more student loan debt. And at the end of the day, you're going to get paid less than people with the same degree. It's so fucked up. It is crazy. So you are saddled with more debt. They typically charge you a higher interest rate. And you're going to get paid less at the end of the day. Especially if you are oh, a woman no, of Julie, color. The,
3: the game isn't rigged at all. It's just all about working yeah, hard. Totally. And you just didn't work as hard as everybody else. Yeah. It's such fucking bullshit. The statistic that blew my mind was that
1: black graduates have a higher default rate Meaning that they their loan went into default. This is mm-hmm. very bad. Then white dropouts.
3: They had more access to resources to pay mm-hmm. for it mm-hmm. as fucking dropouts. Yes. Than people who actually had jobs and were like trying to pay off their debts. Right. Or that had is, completed their college. Degree. Right. That is fucking crazy. Oh, it makes me so crazy.
1: Uh <laughs> it makes me so crazy. It's so oh, upsetting. And there's no bankruptcy protection on student loans. Mm. So you can get in crazy amounts of credit card debt or mortgage debt, and get yourself in a bad financial position out of decisions you made, but you have bankruptcy protection, which allows you to wipe that debt out and start from scratch. But student loans will follow you to the grave. They do not get wiped out by bankruptcy.
0: You are 17 years old when you decide to go to college, and no one tells you, hey, by the way, this is what's going to happen financially to you. By the
1: way, if you do have student loans that you are struggling with, call your loan provider and ask them about income based repayment, because this might be an option where basically they scale the amount you have to pay every month to your income. Oh, so that's if, really nice. Yeah. If you have just started your career or your career change because COVID happened and maybe you had to make a career change and your income dropped, they can potentially adjust the amount you have to owe every month to your income which can allow you to catch up or stay on top of it this is a better option than going into default Mm -hmm. it's not the right decision for everyone ideally just crush your student loans as fast as you possibly can pay way more than the minimums but know that there are some other options out there if you need them and the loan provider is not going to be forthcoming and telling you that that's an option
0: i have a question so i've seen um A lot on Instagram, I follow a lot of, like, especially female financial Instagram accounts, and a lot of them are advocating, hey, during COVID, your student loans were deferred. So spend the money you would have spent paying off student loans on other things, like investments or other debts. Did those people understand that they were accruing debt when they were making those I like requests. No. i, yeah. I ha- literally had no idea until today that deferred student loans accrued interest zero idea and i'd like to think of myself as a relatively educated i, person. I only
2: knew this yeah. because i have a friend who's been deferring his loans for a long time and told me that he's been accruing interest and that and he I knew learned. no he like looked at his statement and was like shit i owe a fuck ton more money than i thought i did and, like, wow. figured it out that way and then, like, told me about it. And I was like, oh, shit. That's fucking uh, that's crazy. fucking crazy, man.
0: Well, I just think it's really fucked up that, like, they're like, hey, guys, we know COVID's been a big burden on everyone. Go ahead and defer your student loans until That's X so fucked date. Up. But deferment doesn't mean anything except you're just accruing interest.
1: Right. And it sounds personally to me, having fought our way out of a lot of debt and being in a position to invest now, there is no way I would ever recommend to someone to hold off on paying their debt and instead make
3: investments
1: because that debt holds you back way more. It tends to be at a much higher interest rate, right? Especially with the
3: compounding yep. interest. And we've we've talked about this too before.
1: Yeah, I am a big advocate of focus on your debt first. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit different if
3: you're looking at like housing debt. It, I never thought about this way until you had said it, Julie. Having debt. You are paying more interest in your debt than you are making back in investments. Mm -hmm. So, like, say you get a ten percent return of the podcast. Yeah, like, pay off your fucking credit card, man. Not because I was like, yeah, let's invest. Fuck my credit card. Blah blah blah. But that's dumb because, well, it's not informed because if I'm getting a 10% return on my investments, which is what average, right? That's, that's generous. pretty high. That's very generous. High, yeah. For, for okay. your like
1: index fund. Right. Say I'm getting
3: high. a 10% return on my index funds, which is like pretty fucking good. I'm paying 22% in, in fucking interest yeah, in APR, yeah. my right. credit card, or even, which one is high. You know what I mean? Right. How am I really, how are you really going to break down this debt? The and, like, credit away card,
1: out? yeah, the credit card debt is costing you more than the investments are making. you. Yes. And, even if you have a 14% credit card, mm-hmm. which is pretty good.
3: Yeah. You're still you're still, you're still losing more. money. Yeah, you're still losing money. Um, so with that in mind, say you have somebody that has student loans, credit card debts, a loan out on a car, and a mortgage. How do they even begin to tackle this debt? Interest rate. Becca nailed it. Rank all of your right. debt by the
1: interest rate and pay the highest interest rate debt off first. There are two
3: methods.
0: Yeah, that's those, our, that's our but perspective. That but yes. that's
3: a simple way to say it. But when it comes to like mortgages... Well, typically your mortgage is going to be your lowest...
1: in At current interest rates, typically your mortgage is going to be your lower interest rate debt right. anyways. Right. But uh, most likely it's going to shake out with... Um, credit cards Uh and you need to rank your multiple credit cards by their interest rate Mm -hmm. and then it'll probably be student loan debt Mm -hmm. or your car loan depending on what year you were in school Mm -hmm. student loan uh, rates are a lot lower now than they were like when we were in college Mm. Um, your car loan interest rate right now tends to be about five or six percent and then mortgages are, are below that right now there you go that was beautiful. But if you had an 18% mortgage, like some of our parents did back in like uh, the 80s, mm-hmm. then you would definitely want to pay that mortgage off very quickly. Because <laughs> that's like
3: buying a house with a credit card. Yep. That happened to my mom when Ooh. they bought their first house. Ours, My, my parents, too. They had like so a 20 something percent. They thought that was a deal.
0: Yeah. What a deal. Yeah. <laughs> well, because I remember I she described it to me. They used a term. It might have been balloon. Balloon. A balloon payment. Balloon payment. So like, at the all end, the they could just
1: go. You owe it all now.
0: Yeah, it was really, really low at, at, up front. So the idea is like, hey, you're young. You don't have a lot of money. You'll have money, more money later. And then it balloons up, and then you're fucked.
1: That is crazy. I didn't know mortgages were ever done like that.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm familiar with balloon payments for other things.
1: Like, if you take out certain business loans, sometimes it can be in that balloon structure. But for
3: a mortgage? Yeah. <laughs> And they were probably still paying a fraction of what houses cost now. Well, thank God, or else all of our families would be bankrupt. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Um, No one would buy houses. If I had to pay 18% interest on my house, I would would literally not be able to buy a house. Yeah, it would not be possible. Not be possible. So, yeah, the two main strategies for
1: debt payoff are snowball and avalanche. And a lot of people, Dave Ramsey, like to recommend the debt snowball. So if you have like a $10,000 credit card and a $2,000 credit card, take the one with the lowest balance. So ignore the $10,000 one for now and just focus on paying off the $2,000 credit card. And they argue that this is great because of the psychological benefits of seeing that you have paid off an entire account that you had.
0: Which is valid. Which
1: is is valid. valid. And it's been very successful for a lot of people. And I think it infantilizes us.
0: But and Julie don't like it. Yeah. Clearly. Fuck, that shit. Clearly. fuck but I can Dave see. Ramsey.
1: Fuck Damn. Dave Ramsey and fucking infantilizing people and shaming them about their money. Like
3: see, does mean? <laughs> In- no. infantilizing mean? In,
2: infantilizing. Like making them feel like an infant. Oh.
1: Yeah. Infantilizing. Okay. Like infantilizing. talking to you like okay. you are a child. Cool. Like you're too dumb. Don't worry. Don't
3: look at the math.
1: Just pay the smallest one first because you'll feel better at the end of the day. Right.
3: Their, their methodology is basically like if you see that you're paying more, like you're getting less and less in debt from this smaller amount, then you will feel like you've achieved more than pay, chipping away at the larger amount. Right. Yeah. Which is which is true. That
1: psychological effect is totally valid. Right. But it may also be canceled out if you are aware of the math and know that you are, in fact. Paying more money and taking longer to pay off your debt by using that strategy. Yep. So my Preach. preferred method. Preach. Yeah, Preach. Yeah. My preferred method and the one that Zach and I used to get out of a ton of credit card debt is called avalanche. And that is where you rank your debts by the interest rate mm-hmm. and you start with the highest interest rate one. Which so- mathematically is a much Smarter choice.
2: Way yeah. smarter.
0: Imagine because- that Dave Ramsey, when he tells you what to do, like pats you on your head in a really condescending way. And imagine what we do is like smack you on your ass. <laughs> and say, Yeah, get and, it, baby. In like a really mm. affirming, empowering way. Everyone yeah. listening, imagine us
3: collectively slapping you Just on the, the mm. ass. <laughs> uh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so in avalanche, basically what you're doing is you're paying off the most expensive debt first, the one that's costing you the most to hold. And and what that does is once you've paid off your most expensive debt, you can take the same amount of money and put it towards your next debt that's cheaper debt and you'll pay that off even faster. And it creates an avalanche mm-hmm. instead of a tiny snowball building up.
3: Dun, 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 dun. Then, I would also like to note that when I was in massive credit card debt, my original method was the snowball. Not knowing these terms, I was like, I'm just gonna pay off my lowest ones first. I'll pay off like the two credit cards that only have like 300 and 400. And then I paid off both those credit cards and I feel really good about myself because I've paid off those. And now I just have this one lump, larger sum on the other credit card. I did that for years, not and it never got me out of debt. And it wasn't until fucking y'all told me that that was dumb and that I should pay off my highest interest first, that I actually was able to get out of debt and pretty fucking fast. Okay. So I will say, yes, badass,
1: you're amazing.
3: And a hybrid method
1: is actually something that I'm in, a fan of. Mm-hmm. If you have a really small debt that you could just pay off now right, or within the next three months and you're going to feel better about it because you have one less thing to track, do it. Right. and then go for your highest interest rate because the difference at the end of the day isn't going to be that much. Right.
3: But when it comes to chipping away at like $20,000. Right. Well, if you, you feel it. good over here. I actually literally before, right before we got, like I came to record, I paid off like two grand on my highest in- paying credit, my highest interest credit card. Fuck yeah. Because I was like, I watched that episode of Explained. I was like, I got to get my credit, <laughs> credit card down. It's like immediately <laughs> when I was like,
0: I was like, $2,000, yes
3: that
1: is
0: amazing what we want you to know is that the game is designed for you to be in debt that's how it's designed so if that's where you are that's completely fine and we help you get out of it we're gonna help you get out of it and just like don't feel shame about it talk about it we want to hear about it your friends want to hear about it because your friends are there too
3: your friends are all in
0: debt. Don't believe them. They are though. It's true. I think <laughs> all my friends ten. Are, Four in and debt. Ten are in your debt. Your friends are in debt. i like that crop top <laughs> very
2: much. <laughs> if you, your friends are in debt, as it's long no as on you. the back <laughs> it says, "You're gonna be upset,"
0: you're gonna be upset. <laughs> you're gonna be upset. Oh that should the be math. the title of
1: this episode. <laughs> you're gonna be upset. Yeah.
0: I just want to be known. Credit. Credit. Speaking
3: of crop tops, Becca came home today with not one, but two matching Dawson's Creek crop tops for me and her that we are currently wearing. And we will take a picture to post. We'll take a picture. You'll see it on our Instagram. Oh.
0: And you won't
2: comment. You're going to be upset.
0: <laughs> You're going to be upset. Um, so thanks for joining us tonight. I'm Becca. Maggie. Taylor. Jules. And we're excited that you joined us. Please like, subscribe. Go to our Instagram at Vaginance Podcast. Go to our website, Vaginance.com. We want to hear your thoughts. We'd like to hear your positive feedback. And privately, we'd like to hear a negative feedback. No need for the public to see that. <laughs> Tell us your APRs. You know, get let's get sexy. Um, but really, tell us if you knew your APR, but and like didn't have to look it up.
3: Yeah, don't look it up. Take a guess at what your APR, and then see if that's true. Ooh. That's how we should start games. Like who has the highest APR?
0: <laughs> if, if you're the closest,
2: <laughs> wait, did I win? Wait, if you guess Maggie's APR correctly, you get one crop top that on the front says (laughs) julie made a spreadsheet and on the back says (laughs) you're gonna be upset (laughs) i
3: ran the numbers (laughs) i ran the the numbers you're gonna be upset wait is there is there like a good financial like board game that's fun monopoly oh right
1: (laughs) (laughs) monopoly was created as a satire really well it was a it was a Teaching mechanism to teach how terrible capitalism
0: is, Nuh-uh. how bad yes. owning a monopoly is, how horrible it is. Is that why they call them Mister Moneybags? Yeah, Does and it is sense? a
2: capitalist success. <laughs> and then it became hugely <laughs> successful. But the whole point of the game monopoly was to show how bad owning monopolies is for cap for like Economies. other businesses. And yeah. also
3: created by a woman and stolen by a man. Correct? Other Very interesting capitalist.
2: monopoly facts because <laughs> I know them um monopoly was really popular during i think world war one and as like uh care packages to the troops they would send monopoly boards on basically bandanas and on the back side was like maps for the areas that they were in so that prisoners could escape Mm
0: -hmm. what yeah
2: they would send like monopoly games to prisoners, but really they were secret
1: maps. How do you know this? Okay, that's cool. Were you reading? That's super cool. Too much (laughs) too (laughs) soon? Too little too late.